welcome to the People's Poetry Podcast with me, Jimmy Bowman. Hello and welcome to episode two of People's Poetry Podcast. My name is Jimmy Bowman and it's my absolute pleasure to have you here along with me. People's Poetry Podcast is a podcast showcasing poetry and spoken word. We travel the UK to talk to rising stars and established poets. Why poetry? Well, as an aspiring poet myself, I wanted to find out just what it was about poetry that made it still so very special, even in the instantly disposable Tinder generation of today. I'll be travelling the UK to talk to established poets, as well as those taking their first steps into the world of poetry, to talk about their work, experiences and to attempt to answer why poetry. This is a podcast aimed at you at home. Whether you're an avid fan of poetry or perhaps someone who's never really had an interest in it before, poetry is for everyone. We all write poems every day of our lives. Our lives lend a poetic hand. Poetry isn't elitist and exclusive, it's inclusive. This is poetry for the people and you're all invited. This episode's featured poet is none other than Rachel Lewis. Rachel is one of the many poets that answered the call. When I first had this idea to put together a podcast, I didn't just want to talk to the poets that were already on my radar. Rachel emailed me as she had her debut pamphlet, Three Degrees of Separation, recently published, and I was intrigued. So I bought it, I read it, and it was fantastic. So fantastic, I answered her call and got in touch with her. I met Rachel to discuss her debut collection, which focuses on mental illness and the tiresome and often relentless grip it can have. So I'm joined by Rachel Lewis. Thank you so much for coming to chat with us. No problem. Thanks for having me. So talking about your debut pamphlet, uh, Three Degrees of Separation, it's very good. I enjoyed it very much. But because it's your debut pamphlet, I wanted to talk to you about your journey to that point. How did you get to the point where you were ready to select some poems or pick the poems? Or I mean, they're, they're all very fixed to a particular narrative, this one, aren't they? Yeah, so for this one, um, I actually wrote them all for the pamphlet. So I worked really hard to create something that was linear and a narrative and all fit together. It's something I've always found difficult, is choosing different poems to go together into one collection. So for this, I thought it would be, like for my first collection, best to just write a story, I guess, or write something that was long and narrative. I guess in terms of knowing how I was ready, I guess in a way I still don't feel ready. It still feels a bit surreal. Like I still feel quite, I guess, like young and new and having a debut pamphlet just means that then you have your, your eye on the next thing. Like what's the second pamphlet? What's the collection? That kind of thing. But um, I've been doing poetry for ages. I think I wrote my first poem when I was about nine and I just loved it and I always kept doing it. And I, quite, I definitely tried to quit a couple of times because I thought, oh, you know, this is never going to go anywhere. But I always came back to it. And um, I just got more involved in, like, poetry groups through university and trying to get my stuff published. And having got stuff in a few magazines and being at a few open mics around London, I was like, okay, I've done that. What's the next step? And then I thought the next step was to try and put together some, like, longer collections or just at least try and create something longer than a single poem. So I guess that was, like, the motivation to start trying to do a first pamphlet. Yeah. Uh, I mean, perseverance is something I hear a lot. Obviously, you know, as a writer myself, I'm, I'm banging my head on that wall as you were, but, but is it getting your poems anywhere you can? Is that, is that something you'd advise for sort of aspiring poets? Yeah, well, actually, funny, funny for me. So I, when I came back to London after being at uni, I was like, I want to get into performance. So that for a, for a year, I tried to perform as much as possible, like get, go to as many open mic nights as possible, that sort of thing. And I also set myself a challenge to get 50 rejections. So I got this um, whiteboard in my room 
And I was like, okay, from October 2017 to October 2018, I'm going to get 50 rejections for poetry. And it was really empowering because I was trying to do a lot. And um, when it didn't work out, that was just like another thing on the on the board. I guess I'm one of those people that like likes to see, you know, things ticked off and progress ticking up. So I only made it to 26, uh, not because I didn't get rejected from everything, but because I didn't apply to enough things. But I found it really motivating. So as part of trying to get, I guess, 50 rejections, I submitted to a whole load of things I wouldn't have submitted for or maybe wouldn't have thought I would necessarily succeed in. And one of those was the Wordsmith pamphlet prize, which is what then led to my pamphlet. So yeah, I definitely resonate with what you say about perseverance because it was kind of setting myself the challenge to persevere through rejection that got me to the pamphlet, like quite literally. Love that. I've never heard anyone put a positive spin on the rejection process, but that's brilliant. So you, sp- you spoke a bit about words with, uh, sorry, wordsmith. I was going to ask you how you got involved with those guys, but also about Foyle's Young Poet Award. That's, as a teacher, something I push my students to get involved with. How, how much did that help you get to the stage you're at now? What was the experience like? Yeah, so I actually, again, it's kind of a rejection story. I never won, but I was in the top 100 commended winners twice, which I'm actually still really proud of because yeah. both times in the years I was, there were like over 10,000 entries. So it still, it still feels pretty special and you get to go to the award ceremony in London and hear the winners. It's really good. Um, I think it really helped me because when you're like 12, and because the award is for 11 to 17-year-olds, so when you're very young, it's quite hard to, in a way, think that anyone will take you seriously. And to have something that's, you know, like at the South Bank Centre of London with really established poets judging you and people are really interested in it and it's really prestigious, genuinely very prestigious, that you can do as, as a really young person, I think is really encouraging. Like I always took it as like real encouragement. Like I remember both times finding it incredibly validating and thinking, okay, well, like I can do this. I, I am good at this or I will get better at this because I've been recognised. So I'd encourage anyone to apply it and also because it's, for 11 to 17 year olds, you can enter it eight times. Yeah. <laughs> and even if um, even if you're never recognized, like so many people enter, it doesn't really matter. And it kind of gives you, for me anyway, it gave me something that like every year I know I would do. So I would write at least one poem every year <laughs> to go to foils. Oh, it's, it's, it's a great achievement. And also you're connected, I'm not sure how, you're, you'll tell me I'm sure, but to the Roundhouse. And the Roundhouse is a institute or establishment, if you like that, I see a lot of poets good poets coming through or have some involvement with how important has that been in your career so far and and what is it you do because I don't actually know myself yeah so it was so important because yeah as I said when I set myself challenge of 50 rejections another thing that came out of that was I applied to uh, the roundhouse cross art scheme so it's a scheme for young performers and it was totally different to anything I had seen before because it brought together people who are interested in dance theater circus and spoken word and we worked together for four months, once a week, to produce our own, like devise our own piece that we did at the Roundhouse main stage as part of Circus Fest in 2018. And as someone trying to get better at performance and get more comfortable away from my book and on a stage with people looking at me and considering myself as a performer, it was amazing because I didn't realize this. Like I applied saying, oh yeah, I'll do the spoken word part. They let me, you know, they accepted me on that basis and then made me do all the dance and the <laughs> movement stuff as well. And I've, I've never done anything like that. But I had a great, like, a great teacher and a great cohort to learn with. And similarly, the people who'd applied being like, yeah, I'm a dancer, had never written poetry before. So they were really out of their comfort zone in that as well. It was just an amazing scheme. So I became so much more confident and comfortable on stage and like using like my, I guess, voice and gesture in a more performative way. And equally, people try poetry that had never tried poetry before. 
and I was really proud of our final piece and I got it on the main stage which was great for my CV um, yeah and it was really good and I mean I met uh, other young people who are interested in poetry performance who I still keep in touch with we had really good mentors um, we had Adam Cameling as our spoken word mentor who's a really great poet um, yeah it was just really positive and I've definitely took a lot from it I guess and learned a lot do you think that helps with the process of because I mean poetry is a very personal thing it's a performing it on stage must be quite daunting do you think that that helps your poetry transcend almost definitely in that um I found it more embarrassing to do things like dance and yeah. movement and so after that like doing doing perform, performing my poetry was much less strange in yeah. a way yeah Right, so we've established you're a pretty good poet here. So let's <laughs> let's talk about uh, three degrees of separation. It's you spoke about the the narrative, and it is it is very story like. And I'm right in saying there's sort of three main characters, if you like. Um, it's about mental ill health and how to live with it as a family. Just would you be able to tell us a little bit about the book for people who haven't read it? Sure. So uh, the pamphlet has 26 poems, and it, yeah, it follows three threads or three different characters. Uh, the characters are referred to as M, May, and He. So He is uh, the brother of M, and it basically follows from their childhood up into their adolescence and how mental health affects all of them in different ways. So it's not very big on. I guess this is their specific diagnosis, it's, it's poetry, but it tries to go into like how does it affect their relationships with each other, with themselves, with their families, um, what are their good times, what are the bad times. And I guess when I, when I was writing it, I was really interested, I guess from personal experience, but also from the news, and I do some work with mental health in my day job as well, about how inequitable mental health is. Like it's, it just, it can like swoop down on anyone in any circumstance and it like takes some and leaves others and that it's just so unfair and so I guess following these three different characters and seeing how you know they're all affected and some of them make it out and some don't um, was kind of the narrative behind the behind the poems. Do you think that's fair? Yeah no you, you say about how it swoops down and obviously I've known people been affected by it and they've, they have managed to you know come out of it okay but I know people who ultimately end up as, as May does in, in this book which is very sad you said about the sort of the good times and the bad times as well I noticed that f a few of the poems the sea is quite present a lot and it ends with the sea and that's I felt that was associated with the, the better times yeah. is there a reason behind that because it was, it was very nice imagery yeah, I mean, I'm slightly obsessed with the sea. The sea is also the cover of the pamphlet, yeah. um, which was a painting that the publishing company got done specially for it, which I, I'm obsessed with and That's love. Cool, yeah. Um, yeah, for me, I guess, quite personally, the sea has always been quite ambivalent. So when I was younger, I was terrified of the sea. Like, I wouldn't go in it. I remember not going able to go in it unless my dad was holding my hand. And, unless, and if he let go, I would, like, run screaming out. But now I love the sea. Like, I love swimming in the sea. I love going to the sea. It's, like, my favourite place. So for me, I guess... It's kind of it's it's kind of a place of recovery. It's a place of like facing your fears and learning to embrace them and live with them. And I also, I mean, so many poets used to see it. It's like so fraught with symbolism already. So in a way, it's a bit of a get out clause as a poet because you yeah. can you can use that word and bring those images in, and then immediately readers are thinking of you know all the other times they've heard the sea referenced and mentioned. So it's really an interesting like loaded space anyway. Yeah, it definitely made me think of you know how how tranquil the sea can look, but then how terrifying, as you said, it can be. I think it was quite fitting, yeah. The, the title of the collection obviously makes sense, three, de three degrees of separation, because of the, the narratives and the characters, but something I was trying to figure out was the actual titles of the poems. So I know there's three different 
sets of titles for each character, but it was the numbers. <laughs> and I can't remember many theories, but, I, I, yeah, yeah. W w you know, I know you're not supposed to say, oh, it means this, but can you talk to me a little bit about the title? Of course. So I guess thing number one to say is I'm actually quite bad with titles. Like, I, if it was up to me and not the world, I would leave all my poems, like, untitled. Yeah. But you're really expected to give them titles, like, you know, in when you go up on a stage you have to say something like this poem is about this or this poem is this um, and similarly in a book it looks weird about titles um, so three degrees of separation I guess chose I chose because of that phrase of seven degrees of separation but having the three characters and I guess that resonance around it affect, it affects everyone um, I guess it's kind of behind that uh, but actually one of my friends suggested it and I just liked it so I'm with it uh, the titles in the book are so there's three types of title. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's uh, titles for the poems that are kind of about May or focus on May and put May in the frame. And they're all things like May at the party. They have a name in, don't they? Yeah, they're like May's party, May, May in France, May here, May there. So they all have May in the title. Then there are poems that focus more on the relationship between Em and her brother. And these have numbers. Yeah. And you notice they, sh they all have um, three numbers in between so they'll be like seven and ten or six and nine and those are the ages of May and her brother in there in the I'm so happy <laughs> that is what I thought but oh yeah very good yeah I mean I, I think that's one of the fun things about poems is you put a lot of stuff in and some people will get some things some people get other things some people bring their own stuff I reread it on holiday for the yeah. second time and I said I need to figure out these titles <laughs> I know that's not the point but I do and then I can't remember my first yeah. I thought maybe I don't know if I thought maybe it was M's age if you add them together. Then I was like, why would you add them? And then I thought, oh, it could be the brother. So happy with that, right? And then the third type, sorry. Well done. And then the third type are the ones that focus more on M on her own. And so those are just sequential. So they have Roman numerals to just distinguish them from the, the numbers that are the ages. But they just go one, two, three, four, five through the book yeah. for the five poems that focus more on M. So in a way, it's actually quite logical. But when I was thinking about the, the poems together, I guess I was... I was thinking about how to bring three things together. And maybe it's also because the poems are about like female relationships or about childhood as well. But I think about I was thinking about plaits. You know, when you plait hair, you possibly yeah. don't because your hair's quite short. <laughs> but like but you, you said very long hair. Okay, yeah. yeah. When you plait your hair, you you break it into three stands and then wind it together. And so the titles are like my gesture towards like a plait structure. Nice. Nice. Not that I overthink my poems or anything. <laughs> <laughs> we spoke about it briefly a minute ago, but the poem uh, May Returned. I think was a particularly powerful poem in there. Um, it, it, it sort of, for me, uh, demonstrated very well the roller coaster of emotions that grief brings because there's moments of laughter and then obviously they're very sad. Is that, you know, something autobiographical? Is that personal stuff that you've sort of experienced or? Yeah, so I've lost two people who've been very close to me in my life and I've definitely found that that to be the case because you you can't be sad all, all the time and there are things about grief that are incredibly absurd like um, and there'll be there'll be moments that you feel awful laughing at but they are funny and I think unless you acknowledge that it, it's harder because it's harder to try and fit your emotion into I guess like a societally prescribed way of, of being you know where you're you're very down for a while and then you feel better and I've definitely found with grief is that sometimes you, you can't feel it all at once and that there are moments where it feels absurd and almost funny and there are moments where you don't feel anything. And I found with my grieving process is that it just takes time. I guess that that might be something... I don't think it's really in this pamphlet because it's quite, it kind of ends with that moment rather than going into what happens after. 
but it just takes a long time and I think you feel your sadness about these things when when you're ready to when you're able to for like a long time afterwards so yeah it's very much it's based on my own experience I guess but I think grief is one of those things that lots of people experience very similarly or resonate with and I've had I'm quite lucky in that the people that I have had around me I've been able to talk to about it and they often say oh you know yeah that that's for me too like oh this for me and sometimes we don't like I find anniversaries particularly difficult and yeah some so other people don't and they'll say oh why are you upset on this day that sort of thing I think yeah I think it perfectly captured the people going through grief and the emotions they feel I mean even the last poem 20 plus 7 it's sort of the same mixture of humor and you know being reflective and there's a couple of lines that really stood out to me Uh, one of M's poems she felt liquid fueled by fire I thought that was brilliant but one I wanted to talk about was the uh, I think it's another one of M's poems I really did enjoy those Uh, the, the difficulty of helping these whom being broke had broken those whom madness chewed at can you talk to us a little bit about the ending of that poem I thought that was that was really that was a pivotal moment in the pamphlet I think yeah, I guess that comes comes back to me about that thing about mental health being so unfair and like really linked to what else is happening with you in that if you yeah, I guess being being broke had broken. I was thinking about people whose particular life circumstances mean that it's really hard for them to recover or get help or get better and they don't have access to the resources that they need. Um, yeah, and I guess madness to choose that is kind of I guess sometimes, sometimes physical because people, sometimes people who have mental health problems, when you, like often people self-harm with their skin. So to be quite literal, it's almost like a chewing and actually like quite personal. I, I suffer from something called dermatophagia, which sounds terrible, but basically just means I bite my nails really badly. <laughs> so, so for me, like anxiety is really associated with chewing. Right. Um, you don't have to keep that in, but I think that's partly where it comes from. But yeah, just that, that thing about the, the situation not being fair. So yeah, in my... In my day job, as I say, I do stuff around like, uh, like mental health and health services, and I've had to do work reviewing like provision for mental health services. And it just really struck me how, if you have certain conditions, like the state really isn't there for you in the way that, for other conditions it is, or for things that are better understood or easier to treat or meet targets better. And then if you if you don't have your own resources, if you're broke, you're you're going to get broken by it, and that's unfair too. More generally now, um, I mean, I've asked this question to, I think, every poet that's, that's come on the series one. But why, as a nation especially, do you think we, we turn to poetry? Why is it so important? I mean, things like, you know, when there's funerals and grief and mental health, all these issues, why, why is poetry a good outlet for that? So interesting. I'm really interested in this question. I think people are always talking about poetry either as something that's dying or that something's coming back poetry is always dying out or having a resurgence so my suspicion is that poetry has sort of generally been trotting along reasonably comfortably but I think I think there's two reasons I think why people turn to poetry at like important moments in their life like weddings and funerals I think one it's traditional like people associate poetry with like a long history of how to express emotion like codified ways of doing that and people often turn to like well-known or well-loved poems to apply to their own moments in life and I think that can be really helpful to say okay like this is how we describe grief as a society and I think that's quite an important like public role in poetry yeah. and then I think but I think the second reason is kind of almost kind of counter to that is I think that in a in a time when so much stuff we read around us is is fake like it's commercial or it's 
put out by people on social media to kind of sell themselves or sell an image. Ulterior motive, isn't it? Yeah, there's so much ulterior motive to so much stuff around us. Poetry often has ulterior motives, but I think it's less. I think it's less fake. I think it's easier to say things that are uncomfortable or difficult or more close to how you experience something. Yeah. Like if you were to, and I think also it it gives you a kind of distance. So if I just if I talk to everybody individually about who's read the pamphlet about how I felt about you know my mental health and the people that I'd lost from mental health. I would never have had that conversation with those people, but poetry, for some reason, like opens that up. Yeah. It, it's like an acceptable way to talk about these things. It gives you like an artistic distance. I guess all art does that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that's answered your question. <laughs> no, it does. It's a good answer. Uh, the writing process behind it, because there's gonna be people listening to this who, who do write themselves. I mean, it's the age-old question, and I've asked this a few times. How how do you know personally when a poem is finished? The deadline has approached. <laughs> um, you have no more time in which to work on it, therefore it has to be done. Um, yeah, I write a lot of my poems for, for deadlines, either like internal deadlines or deadlines for submission or deadlines to perform at a particular occasion. So for me, like, it's like the hour before. I'm like, right, it's got to be done now. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think someone shared a quote by Dean Atta, I think. Like, poems are never unfinished, only abandoned. I really like that. I think it's really true. I also think sometimes a poem can feel finished when you share it with someone else and they are affected by it. And you're like, right, okay. Like, it may not appear perfect to me, but it's, it's had an impact. Yeah. I think that's another way of knowing. I was going to say... Um, well, you spoke about deadlines, so I know some poets work on things over a long period of time. I, I take it you're, you do very much get it on the page quickly compared to other poets. Is that how you work? Yeah, I guess um, I have done things where I do research in advance, and that for me it feels quite a separate process. So I'll build up like a big bank of research over however long, but then the writing process, like just writing it down, I do do quite quickly, especially because. Uh, my poems are not that long. I've been working on trying to write longer ones, but they tend not to be more than like a couple of pages, max. Um, so yeah, I tend to write quite quickly and then edit slowly. So I'll, yeah, I'll write a poem in not very many minutes and then come back to it for many hours afterwards. It's nice to hear someone else say that because when, when, when I've written stuff, it's just yeah. come out and you think, oh, this, you know, I know poets sit there and muse over these works sometimes, but the I think the editing is an important stage, but I, I understand what you said about the research. So sometimes that feels like it takes forever when you're political poems for me. If I'm writing one of those, I feel like I need to research lots. So uh, performance poetry we spoke about and how it sort of transcends to the stage. Worth mentioning briefly, your launch went really well, didn't it? Yeah, I was so pleased with it. Like, if anyone's listening who came, thank you so much for coming. You really made it. Um, yeah, we had about 50 people in the basement of the Poetry Cafe, which, if anyone's been, is not a huge room, but it was great. Um, a lot of... Uh, really good poetry from the feature poets that we had as well. Um, we had Eloise Smith, Eloise Stevens, who is a um, novelist as well as a poet, and you should definitely look her up. And then we had Phoebe Power as well, whose uh, debut collection won the Forward Prize of Best First Collection this year, so she's easy to Google because it's all over Poetry Society website. And they both did feature sets, and then I did a kind of top and tail, so I read from the beginning of Three Degrees of Separation, then came back to do the 
I guess the more harrowing stuff at the end. Yeah. <laughs> at the end, and then we had a bit of a Q and A, which I wasn't sure how that would go, but people did have questions, yeah. which was great. Um, and yeah, and people hung around for ages afterwards. It felt to me like a really lovely celebratory event. And um, yeah, big shout out to Wordsmith for helping me put it together. I suppose all that's left for me to ask is for you what's what's next for you have you got we've already sort of touched on it but advice for aspiring poets out there and any, anyone we should have on our radar mm. um what's next for me is i want to write something longer still like i'm going to try and push myself to create more um i guess like book length stuff like i'd love to build up to a collection we're also doing uh, another launch of three degrees of separation in loughborough in june so if you want to come to that um, having missed the first one then uh, it's on Wordsmith's websites and quite pretty easy to find and there are still tickets and then uh, yeah after that just more writing performing reading I have a lot of I guess thoughts and ideas about people I want to work with and things I want to do and it's just a question of balancing it else you know with like having a life and you know going to the shop and sleeping and stuff yeah. <laughs> so it depends on how much of that I get done um, yeah I guess uh, people you should have on your radar definitely my future poets so Phoebe Power and Eloise Stevens they're amazing um, absolutely fantastic look out for them around London look out for their books um, they're really good and then advice for young poets I think I mean so far my tallying of rejections is working really well for me yeah, I really so like I really that. recommend it to anyone who doesn't like failing if you already love failure and you're ex you embrace it that's great but for me having to accept that that's like an inevitable part of being a writer and trying to do these things I'd really recommend it just keep a tally set a total and then it makes you a lot more up for it I guess because I'll, I'll see something and I'll think okay I'll just go and the worst thing that happens is you know I add one to the tally and it's surprising how often it goes well actually yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Rachel. Three Degrees of Separation is available through Wordsmith. Honestly, read it. It's very poignant. I, I love the characters. You feel for them. Yeah, thank you very much. Thanks so much for having me. So there we have it. As mentioned already in the interview, if you head over to wordsmithhq.co.uk, you can find copies of Rachel's debut pamphlet, Three Degrees of Separation, online. It really is worth the read. I thoroughly enjoyed the dual narrative that went on throughout the pamphlet as we spoke about. Anyone who's interested or has suffered perhaps or has known someone, as I said in the interview, that has been affected by mental health is very powerful stuff indeed. This episode's recital comes from, again, another poet that answered the call when I was putting together the idea for a poetry podcast of this type and I wanted people to interview, but I also wanted people to send me their work recordings of their work of them reciting it so that we could explore and discover new poets together alex asher indeed did just that i thought it would be fitting as alex was one of the first to contact me sending me some of their work just as rachel contacted me about featuring on the podcast alex is a transgender performance poet and i thought this piece was outstanding this is binary world birth name branded chest bandaged bound tight tight tight, a boy in transit. Things you all take for granted become a daily struggle, a hostile jungle. Is this hoodie baggy enough? Does it make me look flat? No blatant bumpy chest will I be stared at. Glares and abuse from the men's changing room. Who knew it was so scary to piss? In the queue for that one cubicle, shoulders hunched forward, eyes cast downward. Don't want to be caught out 
for someone to notice. My hips are too curvy, chin too smooth. See me as some little lost girl, shouldn't be here. But the pink dresses and eyeliner never suited me either. Sure, I'm no masculine macho man, testosterone levels pumped up high, but no quaint lady figure neither. Sorry to perpetuate stereotypes here. I just want to demonstrate how the rest of society seems to see the world. If you don't fit in one box, they'll cram you in another. I can't be your sister, so I guess I'll be your brother? I'm an ambiguous creature. That's what school didn't teach you. People can exist outside the binary, not just zeros and ones, daughters and sons. The boundaries are just advisory. Guess no one stopped to read the small print, notice our existence, because I'm still stuck here, trying to camouflage my butterfly wings against bathroom walls, hoping no one will see that I don't belong in the men's or the women's. I'm just me. Another thought-provoking piece there from Alex. Thank you for sending that in. Really did enjoy that. You can find Alex on Twitter, Alex Asher Poetry. He's also on Instagram, Alex underscore Asher's underscore poetry. Well, that's another episode concluded. I really did enjoy that one. Two new poets on my radar, as well as hopefully yours at home. Please do check both of those out. A massive thank you to Rachel Lewis for contacting me and for getting involved. Three degrees of separation out on Wordsmith. Go and grab yourself a copy. And thank you to our performance poet, Alex Asher there. Really did enjoy that. Can't wait to hear more of your work on future episodes. If you enjoyed today's show, please do let us know. Comment on our Instagram. It's at People's Poetry Podcast. We're over on Twitter, people underscore poetry. Or as ever, you can email us, peoplespoetrypodcast at hotmail.com. We take submissions. If you want to get your work featured, email us. We will get it on the podcast. I've been Jimmy Bowman. Thank you very much for listening. <laughs>